It's the end of May, and for Noah, that means the hurricane season's about to begin. Now, most people know that Noah's National Weather Service plays a central role when hurricanes threaten our coasts. But what role does the National Ocean Service play? You might be surprised. It's Wednesday, May 27th, 2009, and we're going to talk all about hurricanes today. And you're listening to Making Waves from Noah's National Ocean Service. We're going to start off today with a synopsis of the season's hurricane predictions for the Atlantic and the Pacific, issued by NOAA just last week. For the Atlantic, the National Weather Service Climate Prediction Center says that global weather patterns are imposing a greater uncertainty in the 2009 hurricane season, more so than in recent years. Forecasters predict a 50% probability of a near-normal Atlantic hurricane season, and that season runs between June and November. What about the other 50%? Well, there's a 25% probability of an above-normal season and a 25% probability of a below-normal season. And just a few more probabilities to go here. There's a 70% chance of having between 9 and 14 named storms, of which 4 to 7 could become hurricanes. And of those, 1 to 3 could become big Category 3, 4, 5 hurricanes. Now on to the Pacific. NOAA's Central Pacific Hurricane Center says that projected climate predictions point to an 80% chance of a near-to-below-normal season in the Central Pacific Basin. And the other 20%, there's a 20% chance of an above-normal season. An average season has four to five tropical cyclones. Climate patterns, similar to those predicted this year, have historically produced a wide range of activity, according to the Pacific Hurricane Center, and allowing for these uncertainties, Three to five tropical cyclones are expected in the Central Pacific during the 2009 season. So that's the big picture outlook for the year. Now it's important to note that these predictions don't project where and when any future storm may hit. And regardless of what the forecasts predict, the main thing to keep in mind here is that if you live in an area where hurricanes happen, it's time to start thinking about preparation and preparedness. So there's a lot more to these seasonal outlooks from the National Weather Service. We've only touched on a few highlights here, so be sure to surf over to www.noaa.gov to get the full picture. So the start of the 2009 hurricane season, it's a pretty good time to talk about the National Ocean Service's part in all this. Now a lot of people don't know it, but the NOS actually plays a major role in hurricane response. Not just uh, when the hurricanes hit, but also before they hit the coast and long after they pass. Now, I'm going to be giving you a bunch of different web addresses in this following report, but don't worry about writing them down. You can get all the links on our website, and that's at oceanservice.noaa.gov. So, let's get started. Now, one critical service that the NOS provides is near real-time ocean and weather observations at locations affected by tropical storms. And that comes from the National Water Level Observation Network. This network is made up of over 200 stations around the country that continuously monitor water levels. And I want to highlight one component of this network in particular, because it's particularly relevant to the discussion about hurricanes. Last year, NOS completed constructing four what are known as Sentinels of the Coast. And these hardened structures are positioned out in the ocean, out in the Gulf of Mexico, to collect and send out real-time water level and weather observations, and they're made tough. 
They're designed to withstand wind and wave action from up to Category 4 hurricanes so they can keep gathering water and weather data, even in the harshest conditions. So why is all this water level monitoring important? Well, as we all know, during coastal storms, water levels can rise to flood levels pretty fast. So it's of course good to know and predict just how high these water levels are going to get. This kind of storm surge information is critical for emergency preparedness. And let's take an example. Louisiana depends on this information because the state is highly susceptible to many natural hazards, things like hurricanes and storm surge flooding. Well, the St. Charles Parish Water Level Monitoring System, and that's a NOAA observing system partner in the Gulf region, provides near real-time water data to decision makers in the parish's emergency operation center during storms. Emergency managers use this to get a clearer picture of storm surge flooding areas, and that's key for decision-making regarding evacuation routes, opening and closing of locks and dams, and when to make public warnings. And if you're wondering if you can see the data collected from the National Water Level Observation Network, well, yes, you can. It's all at tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. And while you're there, you may want to check out an important product created from the data collected by the network. It's called the Storm Quick Look. And as the name suggests, when a tropical storm forms, the Quick Look provides a real-time view of a storm's impacts on coastal stormwater levels, winds, and barometric levels. It's mostly used as a decision support tool by federal, state, and local emergency managers to assist evacuation and road closing decisions, but you too can see the data to monitor and prepare for storm conditions. The first of the reports arrive about 24 to 48 hours before a storm is projected to make landfall, and they continue to come out until the coastal impacts of the storm have receded, and that's sometimes well after the storm has passed. The report also provides details about the storm tide associated with the storm, and that's the sum of the surge of the water because of the storm, added to the astronomical tides, added to the pre-storm high water level conditions. And if you consider that most people in the U.S. live along the coast in places less than 10 feet above sea level, you can see why this is good info to know. Storm tides are the number one cause of storm damage. So the National Water Level Observation Network and everything we just talked about is from NOS's Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services. And again, you can find that at tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. Now let's take a look at what's going on after a storm hits. Now in addition to the continuing monitoring of water level and weather observations we just talked about, the NOS also plays a lead role in navigational surveys, aerial photography, and hazardous spill response. Now let's take a look at navigational surveys first. After a hurricane strikes, the Office of Coast Survey dispatches emergency navigation response teams to the site to help get ports and waterways back open as fast as possible. They use sonar and divers to check for obstructions and hazards to navigation. Now this work is critical. Not only does it help to get our waterways and ports flowing again, and that helps supplies get to the people who need them, it also helps to get commerce back up and running in the region. And while these teams are out doing their work, they're also collecting data that they'll use to update navigational charts that mariners rely on. And you can get those charts online for free. They're at www.nauticalcharts.noaa.gov. Next up, let's talk about aerial surveys. Many people don't know this, but the Ocean Service begins flying survey missions to take pictures of coastal areas hit by a hurricane just days after the storm strikes. Now, this service is provided by the National Geodetic Survey. To give you an idea how it works, let's look back at a hurricane we all know about, Hurricane Katrina. The day after Katrina hit the Gulf Coast in 2005, 
NOAA's National Geodetic Survey began flying photo survey missions to assess the damage. The NGS then made the photographs available on the internet to help those most affected by the hurricane to find out if their homes, businesses, and properties had been damaged or destroyed. Nearly 5 million photos were downloaded daily from NOAA websites in a one-week period after Katrina, and companies like Google Earth, Globe Explorer, and Telescience integrated this imagery into their web service. And also insurance companies began using the photos to help resolve claims, and the oil and gas industry used the images to speed rebuilding their facilities. In total, NGS collected over 8,300 images during these missions, and as with most of the products and services we're talking about today, you can see the photos taken after Katrina and following major storms up through the end of last year's hurricane season. They're all online at ngs.woc.noaa.gov eri underscore page. And that's kind of an unfriendly URL, so remember that you can go to oceanservice.noaa.gov to get a link directly to this page. And finally, the NOS Office of Response and Restoration plays a major role after a hurricane hits by responding to hazardous material spills. Staff from this office work with partners, the main one being the U.S. Coast Guard, to survey vessels, pipelines, wells, or containers that may be leaking hazardous fuel, oil, or chemicals because of the hurricane. And they fly on missions to locate and track offshore sources of spills. Now this data is then combined with current weather and water conditions to develop computer models to help predict spill movement and that helps figure out where the greatest pollution threats are likely to occur. Added to this, the office lends a hand with vessel salvage, shoreline cleanup, and helping to understand how spills are going to affect natural resources in the region. And the office's team of scientists and economists are also involved with assessing injuries done to natural resources caused by the spills and the groundings and debris in the area. Response and Restoration works with other agencies and industry to focus on restoration, to expedite the restoration, and that's good not only for the natural resources that were injured, but also for the people that live there. And last but not least, the office is responsible for mapping and surveying marine debris. If you've seen photos of the unbelievable amount of trash and debris along the coast following a major hurricane, you know that this is a huge task. Now I want to highlight one area specifically, the Gulf of Mexico. As you probably know, this is one of the main areas affected by hurricanes in the U.S., and it's been a major focus of response and restoration activity for many years. If you live in the Gulf region, be sure to check out gulfofmexico.marinedebris.noaa.gov. This will give you a good idea of the extent of marine debris in the region from the hurricanes that have hit the region over the past three years, and it points to other resources to get Gulf Storm information. It's a great resource. And speaking of the Gulf, Response and Restoration is also leading the development of a new 15,000-square-foot hurricane-hardened disaster response center. That's going to be in Mobile, Alabama, and it's slated to open in 2011. Now, given how vulnerable this region is to hurricanes, the new center is going to be a huge step forward in coordinated emergency management when future storms hit. So we'll have more on that in the future once construction is completed. But for now, if you're looking for more information on the many tasks handled by the Office of Response and Restoration, you can start your journey over at response.restoration.noaa.gov. So we know that the Ocean Service plays a big role in the immediate aftermath of a hurricane, but the work doesn't stop there. For many weeks, months, and even years after a hurricane hits the shores, the work continues to better understand the effect of the hurricane in recovery planning and in monitoring the effects of contaminants released from the storm on the environment. So let's start by looking at activities of the NOAA Coastal Services Center. 
Now, long after a storm strikes, there are many big questions that need answered. What is the economic impact of the storm? What's the ecological impact or the cost to the environment? Where's the debris concentrated? How much wetlands were lost? Now, Coastal Services Center experts help answer these questions by crunching data and generating maps and detailed reports. These products can include everything from aerial imagery of the affected region before and after the storm, digital elevation data to measure how the coastline changed as a result of the storm, to long-term recovery plans. It's all rolled into what the Coastal Services Center calls the digital coast, and you can learn more about it at www.csc.noaa.gov slash digital coast. Now there's a lot to digital coast, and the tools available cover much, much more than just long-term hurricane response, but I want to highlight one very cool hurricane-related product produced by this office. It's called Historical Hurricane Tracks. This tool helps get a quick picture of coastal areas with the greatest frequency of hurricanes and tropical storms. And that historical snapshot can help community members and local emergency managers develop better plans for storm preparation and recovery. The Coastal Services Center isn't the only office with long-term recovery planning duties. The NOS Office of Ocean and Coastal Resource Management is also involved in the effort. And this office is also especially involved with decision-making before storms hit. It's through a program called NOAA Coastal Zone Management, or CZM for short. The CZM program works with states to help coastal communities decide things like where to place buildings and roads to reduce loss of life and property from storms. In Texas, for example, CZM funding is helping the state map hazardous areas throughout the Texas coastal zone, and that helps identify places that are especially vulnerable to hurricanes. You can find out more about coastal zone management at coastalmanagement.noaa.gov. And the final office we're going to talk about today is NOAA's National Status and Trends Program. It's part of the NOS National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science. Now we talked about the impact of the environment to commerce and to our coastlines. But what about the long-term effect of the contaminants released during a hurricane on our coastal waters and estuaries? Or what about human health risks from eating fish and shellfish in the area? Well, that's the main concern of this program. Even after the big fuel, oil, or other chemical spills are cleaned up after a hurricane, contamination can still be a big problem for many, many years. National status and trend experts are key to figuring out how big the problem is, not only in hurricane-ravaged areas, but in coastal regions around the country. They do the job by monitoring sediments, tissues of shellfish like oysters and mussels, and by sampling the water. They've been doing this for a long time, for decades. In fact, it's the only long-term coastal and estuary contaminant monitoring effort in the entire United States. Now, because they have so many years of data from sites around the country, they have a unique window over time to the contaminant levels in many areas. And as you can imagine, this comes in handy when trying to figure out the impact of contaminants following a hurricane. Now, as is the case for all the NOS teams involved in dealing with hurricane response, Sometimes getting the job done isn't very easy. I'll give you a brief example. After hurricanes Katrina and Rita struck in 2005, two NOAA scientists from the NOAA Muscle Watch Program, that's part of National Status and Trends, headed out to collect oysters to answer some key questions about water quality. Now, at the time, no one knew if the force and damage of the hurricanes had led to chemical or biological contamination, or if the contamination was bad enough to threaten human health. Well, since they couldn't travel to the sites they had to go to by car, 
They ended up catching rides on local boats in the area to reach their sampling areas in devastated places like the collapsed Biloxi Bay Bridge. At the bridge, for example, the team waded into the space underneath the collapsed concrete sections and began scraping for oyster samples. Now luckily the test on the samples they collected there and around the area showed that while contamination was elevated in some places, it wasn't imminently dangerous to the local population. That gives you an idea of some of the things that are faced when NOS employees head out to hurricane sites. Uh, as a last note, you might wonder why oysters and mussels are sampled, and that's because these shellfish are filter feeders, meaning they get their food by filtering water through their bodies. Now this makes them ideal specimens to test for contaminants, because everything in the water around their homes, including nasty stuff like pesticides, herbicides, and other human pathogens, collects in their tissues. Now I'm going to give you the link to National Status and Trends, but I'll warn you, it's a long one. It's ccma.nos.noaa.gov slash about slash coast slash NSNT. Don't worry about writing that down. We have an accompanying story about our hurricane response activities at oceansurface.noaa.gov. And there you can get the links to National Status and Trends and to all the links we've referenced today. Well, we've certainly covered a lot of ground today. Hopefully now you have a better idea of some of the many products and services offered by the National Ocean Service in support of hurricane response. Now our main goal here is to let you know this information is out there, it's online, and it's freely available. Let's end how we began with a reminder that hurricane season starts June 1st and runs through the end of November. And regardless of what the NOAA forecasts predict for the season, the main thing to keep in mind is that it's that time to start thinking about preparation and preparedness. And that's all for this episode. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, send us an email at nos.info at noaa.gov. And here comes the ocean sounds. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back with our next episode on June 11th.